I know that kids talk about money between themselves right. all the time, but there is no, there is no system-wide teaching. There is no philosophy. There is, there is nothing. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Brady Burkett. And today we have Benny Notchman, founder and CEO of Jaspi. Benny, really excited to have you on the show. You have a, a great background in finance and fintech. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the audience, that'd be a great place to start. Absolutely. So one, thank you for having me on the show. It's, 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 it's a pleasure. A little bit about myself. So I'm, I'm an attorney by profession. I always have, tell people, don't hold it against me. I haven't practiced in, in many, many years. But, uh, you know, when I did practice, part of what I did was, was around banking. It wasn't really hardcore banking, but it was, let's say, ancillary. So credit card processing, anti-fraud, you know, management, AML, all of those, all of those kinds of things. But I think more than anything, what I've always kind of what always drove me is that in, in my soul, in my heart, I'm an entrepreneur and I, and I like to start businesses. I, I like to start companies and build them. So Jasmine is actually my third company. I had one when I was a kid in law school. And then in 2007, uh, around the time that I stopped practicing, I started a company called Credorax. Credorax is a, is a global acquiring bank and processor. So what we do is we allow merchants to process cards of, of different kinds, both credit, debit, but also more than 100 alternative payment methods around the globe. We hold some 28 bank licenses, and we have our own uh, home-built uh, acquiring platform where principal-level uh, members of Visa, MasterCard, other places. So we serve about... Almost 6,000 merchants, I think, globally will process many billions of dollars. That I, I think around eight, probably eight billion in, in 2020. Company is about 300 people. So I, I was the founder and CEO until 2016. 2016, I stepped down from the daily operations. I'm the chairman of the board of the company and still um, a large shareholder. And then I took about almost a year off where I did some consulting and, and, and work you known for a few interesting projects. Uh, here in New England. And then around mid-2017, um, I started Jasby. Got it. Yeah, and, and your experience at Credorax is, is incredibly relevant in the fintech space. I think like around 2007, 2008, that was probably like phase one of, of what we now call fintech, really, you know, digitizing transactions. Um, and, and now we have an entire ecosystem, online payments, online banking, um, but I can imagine what it was like to, to sort of build that from the ground up. So can, can you talk a little bit about your transition? What, what was it about Credorax where you wanted to, to take some time? And, and what were you seeing in the market uh, that, that enabled you to pivot, right? Because Jasby is a very different business than Credorax. It's very different, but it's in many ways the same. I always, you know, I tell, I tell people it's like, uh, it's the other side of the coin. It's still very much the same coin. It's just the other side of it. So mm-hmm. Credorax was very international and Jasby is very US-based. Credorax was acquiring and Jasby is issuing. Uh, Jasby is B2B and 
sorry, Credorax is B2B and Jazby is B2C, but, but in many, many ways, it's still the same. I don't know if I make sense to you. So what happened is, you know, it's a combination of a few things. So one, you know, I ran Credorax for almost a decade, you know, building it from, from like literally nothing into a multi-billion dollars. And I think in my heart, I'm very much an early stage kind of person. I enjoy, you know, I enjoy the beginning. I enjoy the business development. And I, I enjoy hiring people and knowing everybody that works for me. And I remember one of the things that kind of got stuck in my mind is that I was, you know, we had uh, many offices around the world. Again, we have like 28 bank licenses. So I was traveling to one of, of our European offices and I walked into the building and I didn't recognize anybody, anybody, you know, like and people, I think I, I remember I heard like two people going into the office and one asked him the other, who's this guy in the suit? Because they didn't recognize me, you know, like at a glance. So there is, there is something that you kind of, at least I miss when, when the company grows above a certain level. Yeah. And then I think what you need is more of an operator, somebody who has experience with, with operations. And, and I was always, again, in my, in my heart, I'm, I'm more of an early stage uh, person. So I'm still very much involved. As I said, I'm the chairman. I'm an active chairman. I still probably do 15, 20% of my time towards Credorox. But I took a year and, you know, the, that year was, was interesting. I, I did a few projects with local banks, again, here in New England. I did a couple of projects with uh, two universities. But at the same time, you know, I'm a dad to two boys. My, my boys are 12 and 10. And so a few things are interesting. One is that, you know, as I was, my, my older one was born around the time that I started Credorax. And it's interesting to see how as they were growing up, how they, their friends, you know, our extending family, neighbors, our community, when, when you run a small bank, so for a while, I, it was difficult for me to explain to people what it is exactly that I do. Mm-hmm. And I always ended up saying something vague, like, you know, I run a company that, uh, that processes credit cards. And it was always interesting to see how people reacted and how they understood what the bank is, what credit cards are, like how, how it all works and how they understand money. And as my kids started, you know, going to, to school, I noticed a few interesting things. So one, nobody talks about money with kids. So most people don't talk about it in household and almost no school, you know, has any plan or any, any conversation around it. So I think I read, if, I, if memory serves, that about 41 out of the 50 states have absolutely no program in school at all that mm. talk even, even a little bit about money. So what happens is that we're raising generation after generation. This is not a new phenomenon. That's probably the last 10, 15 years, maybe, maybe more, in which nobody ever talks to kids about money at all, not at home, not at school. And they, you know, they, we get to an 18-year-old who doesn't understand why it's not a good idea to only pay minimum payments on your credit card because like, nobody ever told them what interest is. Mm-hmm. You know? And the second thing that happened is that my kids started asking me for allowance. And, and you know, so. I don't know, I remember when they were much younger, I had a deal with them that they get like, I don't know, two, three dollars every, every Sunday. And I remember that I won half the times, I just forgot. And the second half, I didn't have three dollars. Like, you know, I had 10. What do I do now? You know? Yeah. And even more than that, when it came time for them to actually try and use the money, like 90% of what they want is online. So the cash doesn't help them. Right? So you have this awkward moment 
when the kid comes to you and say, hey, can I buy this game on the iPad? And he gives you a $10 bill and say, hey, I'll pay you back. You know? Right. So I think it's kind of a combination of all of this together. I started saying to myself, you know, must be a better way to bring convenience to the family, to parents, to grandparents, to the kids, to give money digitally for the kids to get the money the way they, they live, which is, you know, to, to digital, to the phone or, or, or tablet before phone, uh, but also through the same process, bring conversation about money. So you talk to your kids about money and the kids learn a little bit about financial literacy through the app and through the service, but without boring lectures. It's not like, hey, sons, come here today. We'll talk about interest. Like the, the, their eyes would glaze after like nine seconds, maybe. <laughs> but if you, if you tell them, hey, here's your allowance, and none of the tasks that I'm going to assign to you is to save a dollar a week, a dollar a month, whatever works to your fam- for your family. And if you do that for a few consecutive weeks, I'll pay you quote unquote interest, right? I'll give you another two dollars. Mm. Now they understand. It's, it's understanding financial literacy through doing, through action, which is the best way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what Jaspi is, is really an online bank account for, for kids, but families take part in that experience. Right. And, and you're kind of combining two things. You're combining the convenience that the kids and, and families require now to, to have online finances together. So whether that's a parent paying interest or, or incentivizing chores um, or a kid wanting to spend money online, that needs to happen digitally. The, the cash, you know, you used to get a dollar and go down and, and buy a Coca-Cola, but um, now, now everything you want is online, as you mentioned. And then the second component is really the financial literacy piece. So can you talk about how you're building the financial literacy into the app? You know, feel free to use specific products you've, you've integrated or, or experiences you've developed. Um, but, but what are some of the things that you're trying to encourage families to, to teach their kids about? Okay. So maybe take a step back. We're not, the way I, I, the way we describe ourselves or what we do is that we're the, the mobile money app for, for families and kids. And we also come with a debit card. So I don't know, I don't know if our primary focus is opening a bank account and we, we don't necessarily do, although most of the time they do, but it's not. Our focus is to be your convenient family money app, if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we connect three generations. We connect kids and parents and grandparents, where the notion is that the adults would give money to the kids. So mostly parents do it for allowance. And, you know, a lot of our users just do weekly or monthly allowance. Some don't like allowance. And they say, okay, we just do chores. Usually it's, it's like, it's two and a half camps. Some people say, I give you weekly allowance and chores and everything else you do because you live here. Some people say, I don't like allowance, but everything that you do, and if you want to earn more, you can do more. I'll, I'll do, you know, you clean the car, you clean the garage, you, you walk the dog or feed the dog, whatever it is, I'll, I'll pay via chore. By the way, what I do personally with my family is I do somewhere in between. We do weekly allowance, but, and then the mostly, I don't know, the kids, I have dogs that the kids feed the dogs. So that's, it's no extra for that. That's, it's, it's, it's expected. Right. But if you do something really, really extra, like, I don't know, clean the garage, something, you know, not, not weekly, then you'll probably get a little bit more. So, so parents, you know, manage budget and stuff like that with their kids through the app. If you do well in school, you know, for everything. Grandparents, most of what we see 
it's for holidays, it's for birthdays, uh, stuff like that. And then the kids really do three things. So one, they can save. Second, they can, what we call do good or give back. So we work with uh, a long list of nationwide charities, anywhere from American Cancer Society to Girls Who Code to the Conservation Fund, uh, so you can give back. And third, you can spend. How you spend, how the kids spend. So there are two, two ways. One, we have an in-app shop. It's very curated. It's very safe. And then the, there the kids can buy video games, T-shirts, um, bracelets, um, electronics, and, you know, Apple AirPods, stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? The second part, we are launching, like, right now as you and I speak, our virtual debit card. So I would say something like that. People always ask me, like, you know, what's a good age to start? So I always say, you know, when your kids start using apps, you know, on their tablet or, or, or whatnot, I think Jazzy is probably suitable second grade and above. I, I think it would be more difficult to explain all of this for a kindergartner, you know, but second grade and above for sure. Yeah. And then mostly, you know, at earlier ages, they, they deal with, uh, again, with save, do good, and, and what they need to shop, they can shop in, in the app. When they go to middle school, roughly, so the average age that a kid in the U.S. gets a cell phone is around 12. Right. So when they get into like sixth grade, that's when I think it's good. Sixth, seventh grade is, is when you can, you can give a debit card. It's a virtual debit card, so there's no plastic. Plastics are a thing of the past. They're going to disappear anyway. So there's nothing to lose. It works on your phone. And today, you know, almost everywhere in the United States, you can use contactless payments. Um, and then you can use it anywhere that you can use Apple Pay as well as online. Right. That makes sense. So that's, that's the service that we do. Now, financial literacy is kind of built in into this. So I, I give you like maybe two, two examples. I don't know. One, it gives you an opportunity to bring money into the conversation. Second, one of the, the things that I think are most important when you talk to kids about money, at whatever age, by the way, is the concept of savings and the concept of interest, which, you know, go hand in hand. So you can encourage them to save through the app, and then you can bring, if you choose to, the concept of interest. You know, you'll pay them a little bit, you know, if they, if they save. But I think more than anything, you know, I, I give you some instances again from my own family. So yeah. my, my older son last year, really, really wanted uh, Apple AirPods. And he saved a long time to, uh, for, for this because this is like an expensive product, right? It's like right, yeah. $50, I don't know. So he saved and he, at, at, at the end of the time, I think we helped him in the last $20. He said, okay, you know, I'm going to go buy it. And you know, when you buy electronics, sometimes they give you an opportunity. Like if you buy them, you can uh, buy like a little insurance. Right. Like add $20, yeah. So he's never heard of that, right? So he came to me and said, hey, look, what should I do? And we had a brief conversation about it, right? We said, okay, man, like this is what it's called is insurance. And here's why you do it. And I started having like a very easy going chat, you know, like are you, pla- are you planning to take those AirPods to school or only use them at home? Are you going to take them to your friends if you go or only at home? What happens if you lose them? What happens if you break them? How, how important it is to you and what's going to happen if you need to save again 
in order to buy a pair of new ones. And then at the end of this like three minute conversation, maybe less, I also mentioned to him that, you know, the house we live in has an insurance and the car that we're driving, when we drive you to school, we buy insurance for the car and, and here's why. So we had a very quick, again, three, four minutes discussion about insurance. But it was very interesting to him because he came with this to me and not the other way around. And it yeah. was about something that's really important. It wasn't like, okay, today we're going to talk about insurance. Like, which kid is ever going to listen to that? Yeah, I, that, that, that's a great example to, to have the kid come to you and, and want to learn. I mean, there are still examples. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm uh, 12 years old anymore. And I still, when I'm buying products online, I, 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 I genuinely don't know if I need insurance, right? Headphones, airplane tickets, whatever it is where, where you're offered insurance at, at checkout now. So I'm, I'm sure that was a valuable conversation. So there's tons of those things, you know? So my, my young kid wanted uh, a video game. And it was some new one. I don't remember which one. But for the Switch, and usually when they're just released and they're very cool, they cost like $60, like $59.99, something like that. Right. Um, and he only had 40 And he came and asked for another 20 And I told him, you know, man, like I'll give it to you, but it's not a gift. Pay me back. It's a loan. And pay me 5%, which you can do through the app. And then you need to pay me 21. And he said, you know, and he was shocked. Like, why? I told him, listen, you don't have the money. If you want it right now, it's going to cost you an extra dollar. If not, wait a few weeks. You'll get your stuff, you know, and you can buy it. You don't need to pay me the extra dollar. So we actually spent the day thinking about it. Yeah. And the next day he said, okay, you know, I do want the game right now. Because obviously he's, he's a 10-year-old, right? So he, he wants it. But again, who cares about the dollar? He now knows that interest can be your friend if you save, because he knows that if he saves $1 a week for five weeks, he'll get an extra dollar. So he's your friend. Interest is your friend if you save. Interest is your enemy if you, if you, take, a, if you take a loan. Yeah, it's another good example. And, and obviously this um, platform, Jaspi, is, is creating those conversations at home. I'm sure you, you, you're not the only one, the only user that's having those conversations and the fact that the, the kids are bringing up the topic, it makes it all the more powerful. And you, you mentioned a bit earlier that you noticed financial literacy wasn't being taught at school. And, and I don't assume that anything's changed in the last two or three years. But as kids have money on their phone, whether it's through Jaspi or another, another app or, or, you know, going to school with kids and, and showing them Jaspi and, and different things, do you see conversations starting at school? Do you see any changes starting to happen there, you know, being in the space focused on financial literacy? No. So when I say in school, I mean like part of the system that the right. teacher would come and say, okay, today we talk about this, you know, part of the, of the, of the school curriculum, if that makes sense to you. So I, I know that kids talk about money between themselves right. all the time, but there is no, there is no system-wide teaching. There is no philosophy. There is, there is nothing. And I think, I doubt that that's going to change because I think, so again, this is just me speculating. I can't prove it and I don't know if it's true. But I always think that at home, a lot of people don't talk about money because they feel that they're not perfect. Right. So I think there's two things. We say, one, hell, what do I know about money? And like, you know, I don't know enough to talk about this, although that's mostly not true. And second, which I think is, is more common, people say, you know, I may not be perfect myself. I don't save enough and I don't do this and I do do that. 
So if I'm not perfect, how can I, you know, talk to my kids about things that I don't necessarily do myself? So they're embarrassed. And I think in school, school don't talk about money because if you talk about money, you need to acknowledge the fact that not everybody has exactly the same amount. Yeah. And then you get into trouble because there's like tons of things that the school system just prefers never to bring up. Yeah. So what, again, what ends up happening is that we have generation after generation. And again, I think this is going on for a long time now that nobody ever taught them the first thing, you know, I hear it so much, you know, my kids are still, still younger, but people who go to college or until they left for college, never went by themselves into a supermarket and bought something. Oh, right? let, the first time they do it is, is at 20. Let, let me ask you this then, you know, families aren't having the conversation because parents don't feel comfortable. They don't feel they're perfect. Has, have you heard of, of any examples where Jaspi is, is teaching the parents a little bit and then the parents are able to relay? So I don't know if teaching, but, but yes. Yeah, so let me be very, let me be more precise. I think our philosophy and, and what we try is that, look, I don't care who you are and what you know, you know more than your 14 year old. You do. Yeah. Unless your 14 year old is, I don't know, the future Warren Buffett. And even then at 14, I'm not sure. So it doesn't really matter. And what, what happens is like, you know, we encourage people, one, if you download in, and use Jasby and then have your kid use Jasby. Just by that, here you go. Congratulations, you talk about money. So you give them a budget for a week, for a month, whatever works for you, whatever depends on the age of the kid, right? The older they are, the easier it is, and I think more logical to give them a monthly budget. But it's the very, very basics. And then uh, one of the things that we are introducing these days, by the way, is what we call the, the financial wellness score in which will encourage you to do six to eight things. Very easy, very small. And we never do it. It's never, you know, it's never asking the parent to say, okay, uh, kids, today we're going to talk about interest. It's not a lecture that you need to deliver. Mm-hmm. It's small things that you just need to do. Set up an automatic allowance. Set up a challenge for your kids to save X dollars per month or week. Again, it could be 10 a month, a dollar a week, a dollar a month, who cares? Whatever it is. And then if they do it, give them an extra something for completing. Those little things, like again, six to eight steps that we would encourage you to do, you don't have to, obviously, and you can do half of them or you can do none at all, or you can do all, but that would help you bring a few points to the forefront without lectures, without you need you needing to be like an expert in any. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so, so you're obviously taking on the space and, and bringing financial literacy, financial conversations to, to your users, to the families. Um, let, let me ask you a little bit about Jaspi as a business. So you've been around for about four years. You, you use a partner to issue virtual cards, but primarily your, your experience is in-app. Can, can you share a little bit more about the business model and, and how you see yourselves growing, uh, whether through just new users or, or are there ways that you're looking to, to monetize the platform that you've built? Okay. So first, we're not, unfortunately, four years old. I, I think what, what I said is that I, I, I left the day-to-day management of my previous company about four years ago. So Jasmine is about two and a half years old and we went to market. Uh, we are live 
probably about a year and a half, something like that, maybe five quarters, something like that. Uh, we have over half a million downloads, close to uh, 200,000 users. So our services, and, and again, by the way, I don't want to, I just want to be very open. I don't want to pretend this is not, this is not some academic platform. This is not the platform that you use to, uh, to teach your kids. You know, you do, but it, you teach your kids almost without noticing. Yeah, I don't know if I make sense to you. This is not some, there is, not, there is no system of quizzes that they need to answer or, or videos that they need to watch. Nothing like that. You learn by doing without even maybe realizing that you're learning. The system or the platform is completely free. We don't charge for it. It's free to download. It's free to use. It's free to get the debit card. But we don't, so our model is not get your data and sell it. It's not showing you ads. There are no ads in the, in the platform. We're not Facebook. But what we do is, is really two things. So one, if you do get the debit card, which again, I think it's for about 11, 12-year-olds and, and above, every time you use the card, like any card that you have in your wallet, by the way, it's always like that. The merchant that you're buying from pays a fee that's called the interchange. And the interchange goes to the issuer, which is us. Uh, so that's, we make money the same way that all card companies make money in all the cards that you have in your wallet. Uh, we don't charge fees uh, for that debit card. So again, for you, it's completely free and we make money out of, the, out of the merchants. The other way is that we also sell merchandise in our own uh, app. It's the Jazby shop. Again, those, those products are very safe. They are curated. I think they're a lot of fun for all ages. And then again, we make a small margin for, for whatever you buy. We never upsell. We never, you'll never pay more. Uh, buying in the Jasmine shop, actually, vast majority of the time, you actually get a small discount. Mm-hmm. But we sell MSRP or less. We never, we never upcharge you, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one thing that we like to talk about on this show, um, you know, when it, when it comes to bank accounts, and I know Jaspi's not uh, a, a true, genuine bank account, but uh, it's, a, it's a banking product, um, is aligning with your customer for mm-hmm. for revenue, right? So, mm-hmm. so if you look at uh, the traditional banking model, retail banking, they make money on overdraft fees, they make money um, on ATM withdrawal fees, all things that really hurt the customer, kind of damage their relationship with their customer. Uh, but that's their model. It's, it's transactional based. Um, you, on the other hand, are, are looking to build a relationship with your customer, provide long-term value. Um, but the monetization, on the other hand, is kind of it's transactional based, but it's not a penalty. Um, kind of, it's it's a um, fee for for when, when they make a purchase with your product. Have you thought about a monthly fee to to align with the value you're providing, and and how do you balance sort of that transactional nature of revenue with, you know, making sure that the app is built for the long term? Because that seems like your value prop to your customer. Yeah. So again, we don't charge anything in any shape or form, uh, you know, from the client and. Even when they use the card, they're not the ones paying for it. The, the merchant is, which again, is very standard in the market. Uh, so some cards in the market have yearly fees, some don't. So we are more to the side of the ones who don't. So we, we I can't tell you if we'll ever have fees. I hope not. I think not. My aim is to not have any barriers 
for anybody who wants this. So anybody who wants to use Jasby can do it. Anybody who wants to use a debit card can do it. They don't need to worry about how much it's going to cost them because it's not. Okay. So that's, I think that's the alignment. Like, you know, we have other means of revenue. Exactly. For, for example, again, what I say is the merchants who are paying who can afford it. So we don't, we don't need to charge the client, if that makes sense to you. So my hope is that long-term, this is going to prove very successful. So I, I give you a for instance. You know, you can start, and the way I envision it is um, you get your kids on Jazzy when they're in third grade. I don't know, eight year old. And you start them on a small weekly allowance and they buy a few things from the shop. Then they go to middle school in 12, they get their phone, you get them a debit card and they go out with their friends, they get a pizza, they get a burger. At 16, when they get the driver license, they can use the car to, uh, to put gas in the, you know, in the car. But also at 16, it becomes legal in vast majority of states to, to have a job. So a lot of kids do afternoon, I don't know, they find a, an afternoon job as a checkout person in the supermarket. At that point, they can remote deposit their paycheck into Jaspi. And at 18, we can upgrade into an adult offering. Mm -hmm. So there is a life cycle of a family. You know, at the beginning, it's more convenience for the parents and also financial literacy. And as the kid grows and becomes, you know, a teenager and then a young adult, will give them more and more services, you know, to do good by them, if that yeah. makes sense to you. Yeah, and, and you're, you're only about a year and a half in, you mentioned. So I, I would imagine not many of your customers are, are graduating out at that 18 no. phase, right? No. So, so that's, yeah. that's kind of future looking, what, what you plan to do. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. That's, that's, uh, it, it's really cool. And you're, you're building that lifelong relationship with the user and with the family. So, so I'll, I'll kind of focus the the question on the future of the space there are uh, i'm sure you, you're aware there are a few different companies that are trying to solve this this challenge of bringing finances to the digital world for families whether it's through uh, something similar to yourself or, or another um, different platform altogether you know number of people trying to tackle the financial literacy question Curious if you what you see going on in the space, if you have a future prediction of, of what the ecosystem will look like in a couple of years and where Jaspi will be in that in that stack. Yeah. You know, it's 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 very difficult to predict, especially the future. But the the way that I think about this is, you know, if you look at the US market before the 2008 crash, they were probably over 15,000 banks in the US. After the crash, it consolidated dramatically. Today, there's probably 5,000, maybe 6,000 banks. I think they'll continue to consolidate. But, and in, in part of it is naturally because the very small ones um, that, are, that are more, the, the technology is more obsolete, becomes very, very difficult to, uh, to compete. But I still think that there is a good, if you ask me in three years, maybe there'll be 2,000 banks in the U.S., which is, I think it's a good, I think it's a good phenomenon. It's a good trend. Mm -hmm. I think the U.S. is large enough that the, we can support that number of banks. And I also think that there will be, and there are obviously challenger banks and newcomers and digital banks 
the Jasby in a sort of a way is probably part of this, but I don't think that this is one winner take all. So I don't think this is going to be like an Amazon and an eBay and everybody else that you can't name. I think they're probably going to be a good dozen, maybe more, maybe a few dozens of of those digital services. And people and, and the companies will find their niche, you know, so if, each one of them will be a little bit better maybe in one thing, although they'll be similar and, and people would have the ability to choose between them, which again, I think it's, it's, it's good. And I think our, our population is large enough to support this. And I think it's a good thing because it, it keeps everybody honest. It's always interesting to hear you know, thoughts on, on the future of fintech in general um, and, and where we're going, right? Unbundling, rebundling, wh- whatever the, the catchphrase is at, at the time. Mm-hmm. But, but I think you're right, right? Banking consolidation, um, because, because everything needs to be built on, uh, on a technical platform these days. So the banks that can offer yes. that tech stack um, they'll draw the deposits, whether that's through a partner like Jaspi or, or their own mobile offering. Um, but, mm-hmm. but you can see clearly the direction we're going is digital mobile first. And then yes. the, the consolidation that um, sort of enables those services to be provided uh, make, makes a lot of sense. And it's banking as a service. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Big trend on this podcast and, and elsewhere, I'm sure. Um, so, Benny, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for sharing more about Jaspi and, and Credorax. Really appreciate you joining the show. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.